Will you turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 15? Romans chapter 15. This morning, our focus of attention is going to be on verse 14 through verse 22. And really beginning here at this point in the letter to the Romans, Paul is moving toward his conclusion. So he has finished really what we might call the body of the letter. And now he's moving toward some final encouragements, some final exhortations, as well then some commendations of people that he ministers with in ministry. But I don't want us to lose focus. I don't want us to think that, oh, these are just concluding words. He's wrapping up. They're not important. Every word of God is important. Every word is inspired by God. Every word is profitable for our doctrine, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And there are some things that Paul says here about his own ministry that teach us about the character of God. And there are also some things here that Paul says about his own ministry that are lessons for us and how we should continue on and take that baton that, that has been handed down to us and continue to share the gospel with the world. But this, is, this passage is Paul's explanation of and really sharing his heart, his passion for the ministry to the Gentiles that God had entrusted to him. In verse 14, Paul says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Let's bow in prayer together. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering around your word today. Lord, as it has just been read, and as I seek to explain and apply it to us today, I pray that your spirit would help us. May your spirit open our eyes, our understanding. Uh, May he convict our hearts and Show us areas of our lives where we need to draw into conformity to the truth that your word teaches us today. Lord, as this passage says, may we glory in you. May we glory in your gospel. May we seek to be empowered by your spirit to carry on the mission that Paul was a pioneering founder of. Lord, bless us as your people and help us to be the light and the mission that you've called us to be. 
And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. As I was reading and studying for this passage, I came across an outline for this passage that, you know how like once you hear something or once you read something, you can't forget it. And so I came across this outline and I thought this is just the best way to break this passage down in a very, very helpful way. And so I'm borrowing his outline today. All right. This is, this is from John Stott and, and he breaks this passage down in three very clear very clear, powerful steps. And, and so I just want to share that with you today. And the first point is Paul had a ministry that was a priestly ministry. Paul had a priestly ministry to the Gentiles. And he begins in verse 14 with some words of encouragement to the people in Rome. To these Christians in these churches in Rome, he says to them, I'm convinced, I'm persuaded, he says, My brothers and sisters, he refers to them as a part of the family of God. And he says, I'm convinced about you that you are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. So he's he's basically encouraging them with what they already are and with the growth and the progress that they've already experienced in Christ. And. What's interesting is that these words about these Roman Christians stand in direct contrast to the words that we see at the beginning of Romans chapter 1, when Paul describes those who are depraved as not filled with goodness and filled with knowledge, but filled with evil and filled with corrupt hearts. And so this is a direct contrast to that. Why? Because of the grace of God at work through the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. These are Gentiles, mostly Gentiles, probably some Jewish believers among the church as well. But these are people who were at one point described by the words of Romans 1. Filled with evil, depraved, corrupt in their minds, estranged from God, going their own way. And now because of the grace of God, they're full of goodness and knowledge and competent to teach and instruct one another. And so... If they're already this far along, why would Paul write this letter to them? Why why so many words of instruction about the gospel if they're already this far along and they have this much knowledge and this ability to disciple and instruct one another? Well, he says in verse 15, I wrote some quite bold points to you on some matters to remind you of them again. To remind you of them again. Now, keep in mind, Paul, at this point that he's writing this letter, he has never been to Rome. So in all of his travels in different cities that he has been to and helped to start new churches, Rome was not one of those places where he had gone. So the church that is at Rome is not because Paul went there and started it. The church at Rome probably was started uh, either by people that went to Jerusalem, perhaps even on the day of Pentecost, there for the Passover and and heard the ministry of Peter when he preached that sermon on the day of Pentecost. There were many there who were from all over the, the Roman world. That's a possibility that they went back home and started this fledgling congregation in Rome. It's also possible that some of the other Uh, apostles, missionaries went to Rome and helped establish a church there. But Paul knows of them. He's heard reports of them, how far they have come in their faith. But he wants to remind them again. 
And that's an important point, isn't it? Why does Paul want to remind them of these truths? Why does he want to remind them of the gospel? That's really the heart of the book of Romans, isn't it? The gospel of Christ, the gospel that is by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. That's the heart of the letter of Romans. Why would Paul want to remind them of that again? It's simply because of this. If we lose that, we lose everything. If we lose the gospel, then we lose everything. And so Paul could not speak about the gospel enough. And we need to hear the gospel. The gospel is not just for unbelievers. The gospel is for believers too. And we need to be reminded of these truths. We need to remember that we are saved not by what we've done, but by what Christ has done. We need to remember that we are any growth that we have in godliness is not because of our efforts. It's because of the grace of God and the indwelling spirit who lives in us. So we need to be reminded of these things. And many of the apostles, not only Paul, but Peter and, and James and other of the apostles understood the importance of a reminding ministry. And that's a lot of what I do, honestly is a lot of the passages, a lot of the things that I teach and preach, if you've been in church very long, you know them and you've heard them. But we need to be taught them again and we need to be reminded of them again because it is the foundation of our faith. It's the foundation of our walk with God. And so Paul is reminding them and he's encouraging them. I think another reason why Paul is writing this way, the way that he is, is because he's establishing a relationship with them. He's not been there yet, but he's establishing a relationship with them by letter and also establishing his authority with them as an apostle of Christ. So he's encouraging them. He's reminding them. He's establishing a relationship with them. And he's also, I believe, has the desire to partner with them in the gospel. Part of why he's writing is not only to let them know he wants to come and visit them, but here in verse 22, we've already seen he's explaining to them why he has not yet been able to come, but he's writing this to them to, to know that his heart is with them, even though he hasn't yet been able to visit them. And he wants them to understand that they are all part of the same mission. And he wants their support, their prayers, their encouragement as he continues the work that he has been doing. He wants to partner with them in the gospel work. And so that's why he's writing these things to them. So he has this desire to encourage and to remind and partner with them. And then beginning here in verse number 16, Paul describes his Gentile ministry And he describes it as a priestly ministry. It's very interesting, the words that he uses here, the way that he describes his ministry among the Gentiles. He says at the very end of verse 15, that it was God's grace that was given to Paul that made him a minister of Christ to the Gentiles. And he says, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. And it's unmistakable, the words, the language that he uses here, it is very much drawn from the Old Testament priestly sacrificial language. 
he is thinking of himself in priestly terms in his ministry, his mission to the Gentiles. What does he mean by that? Well, first of all, a priest, one of the essential functions of a priest is to be a go-between, isn't it? The essential function of a priest is as a mediator. So as we think about the Old Testament priests, like Aaron and his sons, who served as priests in the tabernacle and then later in the temple, their ministry was to take the people's sins and through sacrifice to atone for them and to represent the people before God but also to bring God's words and teach the people and, and serve as God's representative to the people. And so the priest was a go-between. It was a mediator between God and the people. Paul sees himself in that mediator role. Why? Because he is a go-between between the gospel and the Gentiles. So between the God who gave him this grace and this ministry and the Gentiles whom God is calling to himself by grace. Paul is that middle link in the chain, if you will. He is that vessel. He is that mediator. He is that one whom God has appointed to stand between him and the Gentiles and to bring them together. Now, obviously Paul is not a priest in the full sense of offering a sacrifice like we would think of the the Levitical priests of the Old Testament, or even of Jesus and his priestly ministry. But Paul sees himself as this go-between, as this mediator between God and the Gentiles in seeking to bring them together. But then he does go on and use sacrificial type language when he says that my ministry as a priest is proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So the offerings, the sacrifices that Paul is offering, if you will, in this imagery, are not animal sacrifices. The offering that Paul is giving to God as a free will offering, an offering of praise to God, are the Gentiles themselves who have come to faith in Christ. Their coming to faith in Christ, their being one to God, is a glory and an honor, a fragrant offering, if you will, to God. A well-pleasing sacrifice. And it reminds me of what Paul said in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I urge you, therefore, in view of God's mercies, to present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice to God. Holy and acceptable. This is your spiritual act of worship. Your your worship of service. Paul said the sacrifices that God is owed during this era are not animals. Not bulls. Not goats. Because those have come to an end because of the one final sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So what now is being offered up to God are not atoning sacrifices, but free will offering sacrifices, if you will. Because the atoning sacrifice, the sin covering, sin propitiating sacrifice has already been made by Christ. We are now offering to God a thank offering, if you will. An offering of praise, an offering of thanks. And what is that offering? It's not a, not a lamb, not a bull. It's our lives. 
It's our lives. And Paul says that when, through the ministry that God has given to me, as I go and proclaim the gospel, the Gentiles then are, are becoming that offering. They're becoming that offering up to God as a thank praise offering that is honoring to him. So he sees himself in this priestly way as a mediator, bringing the Gentiles to God. But he also describes his ministry as a powerful ministry. So his ministry to the Gentiles is a priestly ministry. He describes it also as a powerful ministry. Verse 17, he says, Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. What is the power that is driving Paul and enabling Paul to do this ministry? First of all, he says, it's not myself. It's not myself. He says, I'm glorying in Jesus Christ in my service to God. There were probably many in Paul's day, as even now today, who would want to give Paul a lot of honor and lift him up and, and show him as a great servant of God. Paul wouldn't have wanted that. Paul would have said, I, I, I am not glorying in myself at all. My only glory is in Jesus Christ for his name to be glorified and exalted. And then he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. In other words, I'm not going to boast about any accomplishments. I'm only going to boast about the accomplishments that Jesus has done using me as a vessel. As he sees himself just as a tool in God's hands, an instrument of grace, if you will. And so Paul's saying everything that has been done with and among the Gentiles has been done not to bring honor to me, but to bring honor to Christ and not through my accomplishments, but really through the accomplishments of Jesus. How is this done? By the power of signs and wonders, he says, verse 19, and through the power of the spirit of God. Two things there that he mentions. One, he says, through the power of signs and wonders in the apostolic era, Jesus had entrusted to his apostles the ability to do miracles. Even when Jesus was still here on earth, and you remember in the Gospels that Jesus sent out his 12 disciples two by two. And he sent them out among the towns of Galilee and Judea. And those disciples were to go out and they were to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And they were to cast out demons and they were to heal people and they were to do it all in the name of Jesus. And they would stay in people's homes as people received the word and invited them into their homes. And they would go around doing that. Sometimes we think uh, of Jesus ministry with his disciples that he was with the 12 all the time. That's not how it necessarily was. He had times of instruction and discipleship and times when they were together during his ministry. There were also times when he would send them out and they would go out two by two in pairs, going to different towns and proclaiming the message and performing miracles that he had given them the power to do. And the gospels describe how they came back to Jesus and said, the demons have been subject to us in your name. And and so that was through the power of Jesus. Then after Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit has been sent, 
the, the apostles received several gifts of the Holy Spirit that what we might call supernatural gifts, gifts of healing. So we see Peter and John in, in the early part of Acts where they're approaching the temple and there's a man there who is begging for money. He says, please, silver and gold, he's, he's lame. And remember the words of Peter, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, arise and walk. How did that happen? Because of the power of Jesus. Signs and wonders to heal, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. And that was a special gift to Paul, to Peter, to the apostles. I believe from scripture that those gifts are not ongoing today because the apostolic era has ceased and the apostles have passed on and the scriptures are now complete. But during this time of new pioneering Gentile mission, these gifts were given and the power of God went with them to, to provide credentials, if you will, to show the genuineness of the message that they were proclaiming. But not only with signs and wonders, Paul also says that I went in the power of the Spirit of God. In our Sunday school lesson today, we were talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. And one of the works of the Holy Spirit is in empowering people to speak on behalf of the name of Jesus. And in our Sunday school class, I gave the example of a a work of the Holy Spirit's empowerment to enable people to speak. And I gave the example of Peter. Do you remember before Jesus' crucifixion on the night when he died, Peter was in the courtyard and what was he doing? He was denying Jesus, right? He denied Jesus three times. And so he was disowning Jesus. He was afraid, wasn't he? He was fearful. He was, he was afraid of man. He was fearful of what might happen to him. He was fearful of being associated with the one who is now arrested and being interrogated inside. He was afraid. He was timid. He was cowardly. Fifty days later, the Holy Spirit has just fallen on the disciples in the upper room. They have just spoken in tongues and spoken in languages that other people from other parts of the world could understand. And then Peter, this same Peter, who not too long ago was denying that he even knew Jesus, this same Peter arose and addressed thousands of people in Jerusalem and spoke to them boldly, proclaiming that they had just murdered their Messiah. But God had raised him from the dead and made him Lord and Christ. And thousands were saved that day and brought to the Lord. How do you explain that? How do you go from being a cowardly denier of Jesus to being a bold proclaimer of Jesus? The answer is the spirit, the spirit of God. That's the power that Paul is talking about here. Not only with signs and wonders, but also with the boldness, the courage, the strength, the confidence that can only come not from our own selves that we conjure up, but from the indwelling Holy spirit of God. It was a powerful ministry. Finally, Paul describes his ministry among them as a pioneering ministry. It was a pioneering ministry among the Gentiles because he says all over from Jerusalem, all the way around to Illyricum, and that encompasses much of what we would know today as Turkey, much of Greece, much of the the Mediterranean islands, all around that region, 
Paul had made circuits and had gone from place to place, sometimes spending weeks, sometimes spending months, sometimes spending a few years at a place, making disciples, establishing churches, and going around. And he said, my, my ministry that Christ entrusted to me was to fully proclaim the gospel of Christ. And he says, I've done that. And it has always been my ambition, verse 20, to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. That's a pioneering ministry. A pioneering ministry is going where no one else has gone before. Paul saw that as his calling. So he would go into Thessalonica, where nobody had ever been, and preach the gospel. He would go into Illyricum, or Colossae, and he would preach the gospel, and he would seek to establish churches there of new disciples where people had not been before. Now, is it wrong to go places where the gospel's already been proclaimed? No, I hope not. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here, right? But each person uh, in God's service has a different calling, don't they? So some have the calling of pioneering ministry. Paul was one of those. Some have the calling of perpetuating or, or persevering ministry, if you will, of continuing on what has already been started. Paul describes his as a pioneering ministry. And honestly, from the scriptures, we can see that we need both types of ministry, don't we? So Paul was more of the pioneering type, but guess what he did when he left? He installed someone in his place who was more of the perpetuating type. So he would go and he would establish a new work there and then he would go on, but he would leave someone like Timothy, right? Or Titus. And so you stay here and you continue on the work that has been started here. We need both. And we're partners together in that ministry. So here's a question for you, though. Have you, anyone in this room, doesn't matter how old, how young, have any of you in this room ever considered, thought about, opened your heart to the fact that God might be calling you to a pioneering ministry? to go somewhere where Christ has not been named and to declare his name among the peoples. There are still billions, with a B, billions of people who have never heard the name of Jesus. God in his service, Christ in his church, still needs pioneering missionaries. Perhaps God is calling you to that. Open your heart to that possibility. But God also needs perpetuating ministers, missionaries, right? Going places where Christ has already been named, but maybe where he hasn't yet been accepted. I mean, we could say a place like Winfield has probably heard, many people have heard the gospel. But there are many people in Winfield who have not accepted that gospel. And there may be people in Winfield, and I'm sure there are people who have not really heard the gospel. So in a sense, we can have a pioneering ministry right here. By going to a neighbor, by going to a friend, by going to a coworker who has never heard the gospel, you're initiating a pioneering work with that person. Either way, our responsibility with Paul is to take the gospel of Christ and to send it forward. To send it throughout the world. 
And for us, that might mean going to Brazil or going to China or going to Russia. That might mean for us going across the street to our neighbor. But we all have been entrusted with the task of a ministry of proclamation to the world. Now, just one, one final word of, that I, I just want us to think about. What Paul is describing here as his mission to the Gentiles. This was, this was pioneering in a radical pioneering sort of way. Because prior to Paul, really no one had gone to the Gentiles. In the Old Testament, the Gentiles were estranged from God. They were cut off from citizenship within Israel. And it was a very, really it was even a controversial thing, wasn't it? At the beginning of the proclamation of the gospel, for the gospel to go to Gentiles and for Gentiles to be included in the faith. There was a lot of question about how that was going to go. How, how is this going to work? What We need to decide on how this is going to be. Paul was a pioneer of pioneers, if you will. And here's what I want us to think about. I just want us to be thankful for that. I want us to praise God for that. It was God's plan, and Paul even quotes here from Isaiah in verse 21. He says, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, those who have not heard will understand. So it's always God's plan that he would draw the nations to himself, all peoples, not just Israel, he would draw the nations to himself, but it was not until Jesus Christ came and gave his life on the cross and then sent out his apostles that that, that fully began to take shape and form. And Paul was really the first to go out and really establish in a large, widespread way the gospel going to the Gentiles. And you might say, going back many steps, generations, that we are descendants of the missionary activity of the Apostle Paul. We owe our faith to Christ Jesus the Lord. But he uses chosen instruments to accomplish his work. And I'm thankful that he used Paul to go to Illyricum, to go to Ephesus, to go to Thessalonica. Why? So that it might go on from there to another place, that it might go on there from there to another place, that it might eventually make its way to Europe, that the Europeans might make their way over here, and that all that, that whole chain of events, I'm a believer in Christ. Now, a little bit closer to home, for me, I'm a Christian because a couple of people down the road came and witnessed to my parents. They were not believers, they were not in church. But a couple of neighbors from down the road came and witnessed to my parents and invited them to church. They became Christians. I am a Christian through their witness and through being in the church that we were a part of. It is, it is an effect that God uses to great accomplishment, doesn't he? We're a part of that. Everyone in here, everyone in here can think of a person that was instrumental in the reason why you are here in church praising Christ today. Might be a parent, might be a grandparent, uncle, aunt, a friend, coworker, neighbor. Someone was instrumental in your life 
and you are here worshiping God. Where do you fit in that chain for somebody else's life? So that all the peoples may praise God. We're a part of that chain, if you will, of God's plan of gospel growth. So may we see ourselves as a part of that chain, and may we see ourselves as missionaries, wherever God calls us, whether pioneering or perpetuating, we are missionaries. And we do it, just like Paul said, we do it for the glory and the praise of God. And we do it in the power that he gives us. You might say, I'm not very good. I'm not bold. I'm not, I don't have the words to say. That's why we have the word of God. That's why we have mentors and people who disciple us. That's why we have the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us encouragement and boldness to speak. But he's called us. Every one of us, he's called to share the gospel in different ways. May we be faithful to that task. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father God, we thank you and praise you for the way that you worked through your servant, Paul. How the the gospel went out far and wide as a result of your power in his ministry. Lord, now you have called us to join together as believers in Christ, as those who have been transformed by your grace, to now become instruments of grace in the lives of others. So Lord, help us. Help us mature and grow in our understanding of the gospel and our ability to share it with others. May we pray for and depend upon the Holy Spirit as we do so. Lord, thank you for all that you've done. May your name be exalted in our church here. May your name be exalted in this Winfield community as we go out and seek to draw more people to you. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.